Good morning. This Good. is Devin Galladay, the author of 10,000 Miles with My Dead Father's Ashes. And I'm with Heidi Barnes, The Bellman's Secret. How are you, Heidi? Oh, great, Devin. How are you? I'm good. Should I have introduced you or should you do that? Oh, no, either way. I'm the author of um, The Bellman and the upcoming The Bellman Secret. So I'm pretty excited that should be out in about a week's time. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. But I have to ask you, what is with this L.A. weather? I feel like I'm back in Vancouver. You know, um, I think I think what ends up happening is that uh, it's really pretty warm by the rest of the Earth standards. But yeah, it's a it's a little chilly. I'm actually wearing you know long pants. Right. Well, chilly and wet. It's just endless. I I moved to uh, L.A. to get away from the Vancouver rain. But honestly, it doesn't matter where I go. Rain follows me. It's just just something. If you even in Dubai, where it never rains, like four or five times out of the year when I lived there, it rained more. <laughs> One of those well, lucky things, I guess. I, I think you need to burn some sage and then jump over the, the fumes or something. Is, think, is it you? It is me. When, when I moved here a couple of years ago, everyone said there's a drought, it never rains. Well, I am responsible for breaking that drought. Because well, it started raining and it seems to keep raining. I know we need it. I know we need it. So I shouldn't complain. But it's just like, oh, my God, I need the sun. Yeah, no, I hear you. And we've got probably another couple months. Oh, great. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure the people in Michigan and New York <laughs> and Maine uh, are all having uh, feelings about you complaining about the yeah. Southern California weather. <laughs> I know, I know. They have far worse to deal with, don't they? Yeah, they I think complain. so. Yeah, hey, listen, so getting back to your book, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, I just found it riveting. I didn't want to put it down. And um, I know it was obviously it had to be tough for you to write. And I think you said it took, did it take you about seven years? It took a long time. I mean, you know, this was the first time that I've written something uh, uh, long form. I'm mostly, you know, I've, I've historically been in, uh, an article writer in the travel universe. And, you know, yeah, it was a difficult subject. I mean, my father was um, a fascinating guy and I loved him uh, like absolutely. And he was a tool. Like, I mean, he was a, an awful dud on, on many levels. And so, you know, how do you write about somebody that you love and hate at the same time? And so, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I needed to sort through. And I think the initial drafts were all sort of like, well, I hate you. And here's why I hate you. And here's the justifications of all the hateful things that you have done. And at some point, you have to kind of recognize that this isn't a therapy session. This is a book that other people have to read. So there has to be, you know, there has to be a measure of balance and you have to give the reader, uh, and I know that you know this, uh, you know, the, the implied contract is, is that I have to give you a reason uh, to turn the page. And if it was just filled with my anger and resentment, that would be a really boring read. Right. Well, that's why I was going to say your tone was 
Um, you weren't blaming him. Your tone was just, you just told the story and you let the reader decide which way to go. And so it was heartbreaking, yet it was funny. So you didn't bring people down, you brought people up. I mean, you did and you didn't. It was a great balance, sort of a roller coaster ride. Um, but I could feel your pain as well. I could feel your pain. I could feel your love towards your dad. Um, so I just felt compassionate towards you when reading it. But I realize a parent is a parent regardless of their behavior. And he clearly loved you. In the yes. Book. You know, he clearly did. And people are just, you know, everybody's different. And everyone, uh, it's hard to explain what everybody's thoughts are and what their goals are in life. Um, but he clearly loved you and you clearly loved him. So it, it was really a heartfelt book. And I enjoyed that immensely. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you did. And so uh, before we jump into the Bellman secret, can you tell us a little bit about the Bellman? And is it still Stanley? It is still Stanley. <laughs> the poor protagonist, Stanley, gets run around. Well, the, the Bellman, as it started off, and the Bellman secret is the sequel, um, it takes place in the late 1980s on the rocky coast of Maine, which is just beautiful. And Stanley had big aspirations, as everyone does after they graduated high school. Um, and he just stumbled upon this grand manor inn, taking a job as a bellman, ended up working amongst eccentric guests and odd staff. And his whole world kind of turned upside down because it wasn't going the way he planned on it going, which is so much a part of life. And then the bellman secret continues his adventures, but it starts more with a love triangle. And he's trying to win his the love of his life over, his girl. Um, but this big brawny guy is in the way. And you still have the crazy uh, guests and, and weird staff. And I wrote it because I, I wanted to remember, uh, I ran the inn for seven years. It was originally my summer home, my family's summer home, since I was really little. And so later when I graduated university, my parents turned it into an inn. So I went up there and ran it for seven years, and I just thought it was so much fun. But it was seasonal, so you only have five months to make it or break it. And I just always wanted to remember the types of people and the stories that went on. So that's really why I started writing The Bellman. And I started writing it 25 years ago because I moved around the world. I had kids. I kept picking it up, putting it down. And I didn't ever really write it to be published. I was writing it more for myself. And then at the end, I thought, ah, why not maybe get it published? I put so much time and effort into it. Maybe it is a story people, you know, want to read. But as you know, it's kind of tough to share a personal side of you because it's very personal, even though it's a a novel fiction, it's has a lot of truths in there. And so it's kind of tough to put yourself on a plate, you know, for everyone else to see. Did you find that? I mean, it's kind of tough letting go of something so personal. Oh, without question. I mean, honestly, I went to a family dinner with my, my wife uh, a couple weeks ago. 
and it was her side of the family and they're lovely people and sort of the uh, the matriarch of the group an older woman uh quite literally cleared her throat and everybody stopped talking at the table and she said you know i i've read your book devin and of course i immediately sort of went to oh thank you so much i'm i'm really grateful um you know i hope you enjoyed it and i don't even know if i wanted to know whether or not she enjoyed it but be that as it may her her she said you know you're a bad boy and she has every she has every reason to say that and by the way i mean it was you know the i think there is a point and and i know that you get this that there was a point where i'm talking with uh, our publisher and he's like you know the train is leaving the station and you don't know where you know how much reach the book will have and who's going to read it and how they're going to read it and how they're going to judge or not judge you not only on the quality of the writing but on your your history your experience and people are going to have feelings and that's that and i think i just you know i had prepped myself for a really long time that a lot of uh you know it would be quite possible for me to be significantly judged and i think you have to you kind of have to just completely let it go and embrace the fact that our books have a, a life of their own uh i mean was there any process for you and by the way is is the mayfield a real place uh, the may class um yes it is because that was my family's home so it's oh, not Oh pardon me the may cliff i oh, apologize that's okay that's okay it's close enough the the may cliff um is a real place but in real life it was called the Bayview. Um, and so it was a Bayview Hotel Inn, but I made it one entity in uh, the book because the inn was our summer home. Um, so that, yeah, that was the real name. Yeah, it's absolutely still there. And my siblings and I sold out to one brother of ours. And so he still owns it. But I, believe it or not, haven't been there in about eight years because, um, I, well, I was moving around. And the last time I went was before I moved to Dubai, which was probably eight years ago, maybe longer. I can't remember. Um, so I'm hoping to get up there this summer for a book signing. That's in oh, the work. That's so a that's must. You have I to. know. It's just been, I spent every year of my life going there and suddenly I haven't been there. You know, just such a huge part of my life. More than, you shouldn't get attached to any sort of property or anything that's um, materialistic. But that place is kind of my happy, calm place. So even though I haven't been there, if I think about it, and I envision it and my life summering there and running it, then I just, that's good enough for me. I just go back into this little spot of uh, what makes me feel good just thinking about it. So it'll be pretty exciting going back, but it'll be a little strange since I haven't been there in so long. <laughs> oh, well, but I mean, I think it's a slam dunk that you do a book reading there, like for sure. I mean, that's oh. that's fantastic. I mean, and really, really, you could do like a little tour. You could do like a walking tour of like here's scenes and here's where they happened and you could, you know, bounce around the hotel. You know, probably not in people's rooms, but <laughs> that's if my brother lets me in. <laughs> he might not. Oh man, well no, he's no, he... got to let you in. 
Well, he rents it out as a home now. It's not run as an inn anymore. He rents uh-huh. out the whole home. So if he if it's rented out, he's not going to let me in. Try. Yeah, no, I told. I I guess I understand that part of it. Okay, so I have a question. So now that I know for sure that it has much more of a, 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 a an autobiographical slant to it, how come it's Stanley and not Stanella? Or Heidi? Because, and I've been asked that a few times. Well, in those days, you really only saw um, male bellmen. Now you see female bellmen. Mm. And I just never even thought, you know, in a small hotel or an inn, the bellman sees and does everything. You cross all the lights. I ran those bellmen around like you wouldn't believe. Like, if I didn't like to see them standing there. So if I saw them standing there and I'd ask them to polish the stairwell, you know, and uh, or I'd ask them to vacuum or go change light bulbs because, you know, I just didn't want to see them standing. And if they were standing, if I didn't have anything for them to do, I wanted them standing, you know, straight up, you know, hands by side, ready for someone to walk. (laughs) I guess I was pretty tough when I think about it. Yeah, no, you sound tough. (laughs) Well, you know what? It did become, and I'm not bragging, but it did become the highest rated hotel or inn in the state of Maine at the time. And it remained uh, the highest rated for, well, uh, yeah, number and number of years till we sold it. So, um, or till it turned it back into, you know, a home. So that, uh, you know, so there's a reason for that <laughs> to be tough. But it was very welcoming and inviting, you know, a fun place to go. Oh, I mean, it's it honestly, it sounds wonderful. But I'm having a challenging time understanding why you're complaining about Southern California weather <laughs> if you're from Maine. Well, because I summered up there, you see. I only spent one oh. winter up there, and that was the last. That was like the shining. <laughs> yeah, no, that I, must have been miserable. I never realized, quite honestly, I used to hear people talk about the weather, and I never realized how important it was to me until I started moving around the world. And so when I had a choice of where to move a couple of years ago, I said, God, weather is so important to me. I like the sun. I like being able to get up every day and just do whatever. And uh, so that's why I chose Southern California. And I'm not moving again. I've moved too many times. And speaking of, you are so world-traveled. It's amazing. And I know you have the In the Know Traveler, which I looked at. Uh, It's unbelievable, the work you put into that. I thought about doing that a long time ago, but I could never do it because the amount of time and effort to to do that. And next time I'm going to take a trip, I'm going to look at your website and see what you recommend. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's something I've been doing. That's a labor of love. That's a labor of love. I mean, I think that website now covers 192 countries. I mean, I think I have it advertised as 189, but we've picked up a few more, like Skullbard, um, which is just this kind of like a frozen, a frozen tundra island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I love travel. I mean, I think... You know, I think we're supposed to know each other, and the only way to do that um, is to go someplace. 
You know what I mean? You have to go someplace out of your home. And I think the travel starts certainly out your front door. Uh, but the more you do it, the more you want to know what they're doing in Macau. And the more, right. you know what I mean? What what are the uh-huh. what does Thai food actually taste like in Thailand? And is there a difference? Uh, and actually, there's a huge difference. So, you know, for me, that's, uh, yeah, that's like bread and water. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an absolute must. I am... Uh, a huge travel fan. So if I can, if I can encourage you to take a, a you know, a, a trip or two, but it sounds like you're not untraveled yourself. No, I've lived, I lived in Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, Dubai, and Canada, um, some other places as well, but those are the primary ones. And I totally agree. And then I traveled from there, those areas. Sure. But I totally agree. I mean, people are people are people wherever you go in the world. And we all have the same basic needs. I remember one time we were in Bangkok and we got in a little, uh, I forgot what they call those canoe type boats. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were people from all over the world. There was a German, a French, American, Canadian, um, all over. I can't remember. And the German turned around. We were all laughing. And he said, look at us. We're all having a great time getting along. It's the governments that are causing issues amongst us. And, uh, and we all just laughed. And you just realize when you travel and meet people and from all walks of life, people with a lot of money, people with no money. And it, it, it's just amazing how we are all the same. And if we took time to, you know, listen to one another a little more and be a little more compassionate with one another, the world would be a far happier place, you know? Oh, you're, you listen, you are absolutely preaching to the choir. In other words, <laughs> getting to know each other is much more about realizing that we can have not only friendships, but sort of the insight to understand that no matter where you think you're going in the world, that people want the same basic things. They want a little bit of food. They want a little bit of security. They want a little bit of money. And they want, uh, you know, a, a measure of happiness and safety for their children. You know what I mean? And they don't want to cause problems for people. So, I mean, that's really what I started the website over is that we were sort of, you know, we were warring and I kind of recognized that, yeah, I mean, without question, there's people doing terrible things around the world. No question. But the vast, vast majority of people are wanting these kind of basic things that that we have. Um you know, they, they want a, just a measure of happiness. They want a measure of peace. They want to kind of, uh, you know, do the uh, the things that we all want to do. We want to be able to go out and once in a while have a slice of pizza and enjoy our day and, and you know, hold the hand with the person that we love. And, you know, those kinds of basic things. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, yes, I 95% or I don't know what percentage are – people in the world are very good it's that small percentage that you know give the world a bad name but most people are very caring and look at the people in your book who looked after you in Cadiz you know um, they kind of took you under their wing when you needed help and I think there's a lot of people in the world like that who when you when you're in trouble or something's amiss, they, they'll come to your side, whether they know you very well or not. 
just this basic humanity and caring for one another. Well, I think that's probably the number one thing that if I were to, you know, I've now been to uh, 85 countries around the world and I've been very, very fortunate. And what I received in Cadiz is what I've received everywhere, which is really for the most part a little bit of curiosity, but mostly kindness. People are excited to talk about their country. They're happy to show you. They're happy to point you in the right direction. They're happy to have lunch with you. And you know, I mean, and truthfully, I've done that for people here, and that doesn't make me um, anything special. I think that's what makes most of us kind of tick, is that, you know, we, we long for connection and community. And, uh, you know, again, I love it. I, we're, we're a little bit off the, the book thing, which, by the way, so are, are you Mrs. Linkoff then? No, I'm definitely not. No, definitely not. So no, then are you Mindy? Who are you in no, your book? No, I'm not anybody. I'm not anybody in the book. Oh my God. Maybe there's little bits of me in different places, but I don't have a role in the book. There's so, just bits and pieces. So and I'm you... not telling, and I'm not telling what they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was my next question. You'll have to figure it out as time goes on. <laughs> so what? What was you know? Once you had, because here's the thing: um, we both know that in writing a book, it's it's really a labor of love. You have to have a measure of passion, and I get. So this is your safe place, and you wanted to pay homage to it, or was it just sort of like the collection? of unusual people who came and stayed at your inn that made it, that gave it life where it's like, oh, I need to write this book. It was more, I was so passionate about the place, you know, as my summer home and then later as an inn. I like when we opened it up to the public, it, I enjoyed having people come in because I wanted to share the place. It was so gorgeous, so stunning that I, I was okay with people coming in my summer home because I was proud. And I just was, I was just so enamored with the place as a whole. And I still am. And I always will be. And when all the craziness went on, because I was in my early 20s running it, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> they, between all the staff issues and then just, Guests, some guests were super nice. Most were wonderful, but there were some crabby ones. And you were just like, and I just felt because you only have five months to make it or break it. That's it. And then you close up shop. Everything shuts down. The, the pipe water pipes are drained and uh, that's it. So you can imagine five months. It's day and night, day and night, day and night. And you live, eat and breathe this place. You never get a night off. You never get a break. So the end of the season, you're pretty burnt out, but you put your life and your heart and your soul into it. So it was just something that I was afraid if I didn't start writing 25 years ago, I was afraid I was going to forget the stories and the people. So that's why I started it. It just took me a lot longer than I planned to write. And um, so I'm going to write a third book. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. I, I have not put pen to paper yet, but um, I will once I get through my house renos. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, then I'll start writing because I don't have my computer hooked up right now. I'm on a laptop with Hotspot. 
So how, how many years did it take you to write this one, or were we in months and weeks? Oh, this one really, I would say a year and a half um, is what this one took about. I could have written it within a year, but I was moving. I'd, I've been through probably, I've lived in about five places in the last two years. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, had to keep putting it down, picking it up, but about a year and a half. So that's not bad. Didn't no, I think that's actually quite <laughs> impressive. I don't know if I can I can write a book in a year and a half. I mean, I suppose uh, after what I've learned in the first one, um, you know, I think it won't be as uh, emotionally daunting. And I was kind of going back and forth. You know, it, it wasn't full time writing. So when you write in a year and a half, was it sort of like okay, I'm writing from nine to five, or I've got two hours in the morning, or I'm only writing on weekends? What does that look like? Well, you know, there was no consistency, unfortunately. I know they say that you need to be disciplined about it, but I wrote depending on the time I had. So if I knew I didn't have anything to do the next morning, I'd try and block off, you know, six hours in a day. Um, So sometimes it was in the morning, sometimes it was in the afternoon, sometimes it was in the evening. But I prefer mornings because I'm fresh, I can think straight, um, but I have to, my plan is to get into a routine once I get set up in this house, get into a routine and try and write in the morning for a number of hours, block that off whenever I can. And, and what about you and what about your next book? Well, I, I'm actually working on two simultaneously. Uh, one is uh, a relationship with my, my mother who, uh, uh, is, uh, almost as irrepressible as my father is. Uh, and then but what will likely be the, the next uh, published book is uh, the relationship with my wife. Uh, she and I are in the process of getting married 100 times in 100 countries. Um, and we've actually been married uh, 21 times so far. It's going to be uh, this particular book will be about the first 20. And because I've been in the travel industry and because I know so many people around the world, many of the weddings were insane, wow. quite literally. Uh, you know, we've been married in a number of castles. And uh, matter of fact, I am a, officially a knight of San Marino, where we had a uh, a recreated Latin Vulgari wedding from the 1500s. Uh, so if my wife is listening, whose birthday it is today, uh, she knows that uh, technically speaking, according to our contract, I own her. As a feminist, I'm sure she'll be <laughs> punching me in the face later today. Oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she, but she knows that I love her to pieces. So I think we're, you know, I think we're going to muddle this little storm. Uh, so it's going to be a lot about that, and I have uh, historically failed miserably at love, but uh, had the wherewithal to uh, to take a lot of notes to see uh, what my part in it was and how to avoid future failures. So so far so good. Lots of love in the air. What now? Where are you going to get married next? We're actually discussing a uh, uh, South America swing that would be uh, Uruguay, uh, Argentina, and Santiago. And then uh, most uh, international flights into South America uh, end up uh, going through Lima, uh, Lima, Peru. And I have some friends there, and so we may do some little spontaneous little wedding party there as well. That is amazing. And do you ever invite people, or do you just... You two go with your daughter? 
you know, ironically, nobody in either of our families have seen our weddings because most of them have been, you know, I mean, we've been married uh, again in 20 different countries. Um, I mean, we have, we did get married uh, in the United States, uh, but really that almost, even though that's, you know, that's legal, um, and that's sort of like, you know, when people say, you know, are, are you, are you, uh, uh, how are the legalities of all of this? I mean, we obviously point to our, our, uh, our U.S. wedding. Uh, that said, I think we're also legally married in Mexico and, uh, Slovenia. Wow. I, I looked at your site. You have the in, in the no bride, is it called? Yes, that's correct. In the yeah. no bride.com. Amazing. I mean, that's good for you. The world needs more happy marriages. I mean, you know, the funny you. thing was is that we we started getting married in part because I thought it was like a silly little goofy idea. Like it happened spontaneously. We were I was actually on an assignment in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and uh, we were passing this very iconic Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, uh, cathedral. It's like 150 years old, and it's you know people are using it and praying in it very regularly. And we were walking by, and I and we had just gotten married. And I said to her, "Hey, why don't we go in there and get married right now?" And my wife was like, "Absolutely." And the woman standing next to us, who was also on assignment, said, "You know, I'm ordained." And I took off my ring and I said, great, you're presiding. Let's go. And so we marched to the front of this cathedral. And, you know, this the woman who was marrying us, uh, actually a woman who is a, a, a travel blogger and writer uh, named Tamalee, Lee, she started talking about love and her relationship with her husband and how important it was. And while she was talking, I was thinking, you know, in the first round of the vows, there were some things that I didn't say that I should have. And when it was time for me to say the vows, I added things that were sort of like, hey, I know you this much better. And there were these things that I really wanted to make sure you understood that I uh, I want to give you. And I describe those things. And while I'm still in my brain going, oh, this is just a silly goof that we're doing, my wife was, this was not a goof to her. This was something like, without question, it gave her a measure of peace and security and hope because, you know, the outside world can be a scary place. And so since then, I've really uh, taken to heart that this is sort of like a jolt, like a positive jolt to our relationship. Wow, that's amazing. And you were married in 2014, is that right? Oh, wow. I'm the wrong person to answer this question. Oh. And, yeah, matter of fact, I hope, I hope. <laughs> yeah, right. no, I think it's, no, I think you're right. I think is it's that, probably 2014. Was well, the, in Los Angeles, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Good for you. That's the joy of writing things down so I don't have to remember them all. <laughs> so, so how long do you think it'll take you to write your next book or when, do you, when is it you're going to start? Like when is the official thing? Is it after the renovations? I think after the renovations. So I, w I think I have two more months of renovations. So um, I'm probably going to start in two months and I'm hoping it will take me a year. Good. And is this Stanley? Of course it's Stanley. <laughs> oh, good. And and, and Mindy? Yes. Huh? 
He's not going anywhere yet. (laughs) (laughs) So this is just going to be season three. And are most of the situations, because there are some, and I don't want to offer any any real spoilers, but there are some very wacky, outrageous things that happen with, you know, in dealing with uh, uh, the guests. Right. uh, are are most of these true? And in this third book, are they also going to be sort of like part of that thing? Did you read the first book or the second book? The second. Okay. Okay. The Bellman Secret. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, some are a lot of the a lot of the scenes that happened in the first book actually happened in life. Mm. And some of the scenes in the second book happened and some are, you know, fabricated and it'll probably be the same in the third book, you know, some real, some fabrication. Uh, Cause you know, once now that I've gotten through the first book and I got everything out of my system that I wanted to say, I can go anywhere with this book, with these right. the, the following books. Cause I, I did what I had to do, you know? So I'm pretty excited because when you have no limits, which you don't have any limits in writing, it's pretty exciting. Well, I think that's one of the great joys of writing is mm-hmm. that we we get to go wherever it is that we want to. I mean, really, like, you know, as a memoirist, I mean, I I stick to my reality. I stick to my truth. Um, but at the same time, where I go with that truth and my insights and my understanding of that truth is really sort of like the only limits are, are you know, are self-imposed. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, there is a point where it's like, yes, I get to go there if I want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Howard, long, when have you started your um, second book or second and third? Oh yeah. About? No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm probably about 30,000 or th- yeah, 30,000 words into uh-huh. the, uh, uh, the love book. Uh-huh. And uh, probably 40,000 into the mom book. Gosh, I don't know how you can write. That's amazing. You are far along. But I don't know how you can write two books at once. I could never do that. I could never. That com- sounds complicated. <laughs> well, no, it, it kind of, you know, I think what we do, I don't know if there's any fledgling writers out there, but I mean, I think you kind of start out with some sort of a very basic outline. Do you know what I mean? In other words, some of the most crucial things. I mean, with the wedding book uh, and the love book, it's really sort of easy because the umbrella is the actual weddings. Now, I'm allowed to, like, if I get into a big fight with my wife, which I have, um, you know, I'm allowed to go into that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because that's what relationships are. Relation, yes, hand holding and kissing and hugging and all those wonderful things are part of it. But there's the reality of what love is and what relationships are. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, a dear friend of mine, David, always says that love is an action and that action is service. That's not always an easy thing to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so. So we get to get into the complexities, but the outline of it is there. Uh, you know, with, with the mom book, like I already know sort of like, uh, you know, there are, certain, there are certain elements to our relationship that have to be written about. You know what I mean? So I, those are already there. Now, where I go in between some of those cracks, uh, you know, those are things that get to evolve. And that's where, you know, the craft of writing starts to come in. 
Do you so do we, something similar with your work? Um, as far as as far as as far as uh, sort of like you know, kind of setting out like quite literally, I set out index cards, and I'm like, okay, this is this is these are the events that are critical in telling the story. Do you do something similar, or how does what does it look no, like for you? I I should, and I've tried, and I hear that's what you should do: is set out the stages and the arc and everything. I don't. I just write flippantly. I just write, and it it goes the way it's going. And I know it sounds crazy, and I've tried to do it strategically, but it just doesn't work for me. So sometimes I'll write, make notes of what scenes I want, where, or thoughts of ideas. But I just write, and then it it goes where it's going. Which I know sounds crazy. No, actually, it it doesn't. I actually think that uh, good fiction writing does that. I think you have to give yourself space for surprises to to evolve. Um, you know, obviously, for somebody who's writing nonfiction, it's much easier to sort of lay out the story. But I think it's also important to kind of allow yourself to write into a a new experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's important for the writer to be surprised uh, because that's the only way the reader's going to be surprised. Exactly. Sometimes I'll be writing and I'm thinking, but where is this going? And then I just keep writing because it's going wherever, wherever I want it to go. So to your point, yeah, and write yourself into a corner and then write yourself out of a corner um, is always a good way. Yes. Right? You yeah. You know what I mean? that that's always helpful so anyway well um so where where's your next book signing and where can we because i went to your one in long beach which was amazing had a huge crowd and where's your next book signing and where can we find out about your book and all sorts of things like that well, uh, the the uh, I actually am doing a couple book clubs, uh, book club meetings uh, who've who've gone through the book, and so I actually have one on Wednesday, and then I have one I think on the following Tuesday. But my next live event's actually going to be in Reno, Nevada, at uh, Sundance Music and Books uh, in Reno. I don't know anything about Reno, if I'm honest with you. I haven't been there for probably 35 years. So, but uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be reading with uh, and and doing an in conversation, similar to what we're doing now, uh, with Gail Brandeis, uh, who wrote uh, a beautiful memoir about her relationship with her mother, The Art of Misdiagnosis. And so that's going to be happening uh, the 23rd of this month again at uh, Sundance. Uh, music and books and what's going on with you well we're um we're in the process of setting up um or julia of course at rare bird is in the process of setting up some book signings one in la one in the san francisco area um maine of course and vancouver canada and so those dates aren't set yet. Probably start in February, and I'll put those on my Facebook page. I have the Bellman Book Facebook page. As well, my um, website is coming out at the end of this month, and everything will be posted on there. So I'm excited about that. So I don't have any particular dates at the moment, but they will be out soon. Are, are you going to let me know? There. Yes, I was going to say, I hope to see you there. Absolutely. 
<laughs> I know you will be. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Devin. It's been a lot of fun. Heidi, thank you so much. You're the best. And I wish you uh, uh, loads of uh, success and encouragement in uh, for your book launch, because that's a big thank deal. You. And same to you, Devin. Thank you.